Welcome back to the program. When we look at the story, the emergence of the diaspora of any ethnic group, we realize how important immigration is. For the Jews of the 20th century, it was everything. Some would migrate to America and become pillars of both capitalism and communism. Some would migrate to Palestine and birth the state of Israel out of the desert. Others would be left behind in Europe and suffer the last full measures of the Holocaust. They would impact history by both their courage and even by what they might have accomplished. My guest David Laskin has written about his own family that incorporates all of these strains in their journey, and in fact all of the history of the Jewish diaspora of the 20th century. David Laskin is the best-selling author of The Children's Blizzard, which won the Washington State Book Award. He writes for the New York Times and the Washington Post, and it is my pleasure to welcome David Laskin here to talk about his new work, The Family, Three Journeys into the Heart of the 20th Century. David Laskin, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Great to have you here. When did you realize that in beginning to understand and research this story, that your family story, that the various strains of the family, in fact, encompass this broad scope of 20th century Jewish history and 20th century history in general? You know, Jeff, for me, the aha moment came when I was looking at a website that I had never seen and never heard of that my Israeli relatives had directed me to. You know, as you mentioned, um, this book does encompass the three great strands of Jewish American and really, you know, 20th century history. The American branch, which came here around the turn of the last century, the branch that went to Palestine in the 1920s, and the third branch, which perished in the Holocaust. That was the branch that I really knew little to nothing about. Growing up, uh, my parents and my grandparents never really talked about them. I never heard their names. I was dimly aware that there was family that was lost. I think that might have been the word that they used. But I really had no idea of the stories. And, you know, when I got the idea of maybe writing about my family, you know, I was kind of at that stage of life when I began to research my roots and so on. My mother directed me toward the relatives in Israel, and she said, well, you know, they're family-minded, and they know more about the family than anyone else. So we emailed back and forth, and they uh, sent me a link to this website that they had maintained, and there were photographs of little girls with ribbons in their hair and little boys in sailor suits and on bicycles. These were the relatives who were killed in the Holocaust. And it was really looking at those pictures and realizing that they were on my family tree along with the other two branches, the three branches becoming two, that, uh, you know, the light bulb went off and I thought, that's what I have to write about next. And that's, that was the origin of the family. Oftentimes when people dig into family history, there is a fear that accompanies that about what you might find along the way. Is that something you experienced? To some extent, yes. I mean, the I would definitely say that I'm covering as much as I did. You know, once I discovered that I had these relatives that were killed in the Holocaust, I began to plunge into as much as I could find out about their lives. And um, I was surprised that I found out as much as I did about both the last years of their lives and the circumstances of their death. And yes, there was much horror involved in that. There were, there were facts that I wish I had never uncovered and um, situations that I wish I had never been exposed to. But, you know, in addition to the, um, to the really difficult, hard-to-face facts, there was a lot 
in the family history that was revealing and surprising in a positive way. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is my great aunt, um, Idel, as we, as mm-hmm. we called her in the family, Ida Rosenthal, as she was known to the world, was the founder of the Maiden Form Bra Company. She was the first cousin to these people who were killed in the Holocaust, first cousin to people who settled Palestine. So this was, you know, I, I knew about her as a kid. I met her. I went to her mansion on the shores of Long Island. But I didn't realize just how exciting, sexy, and successful that company was. So, you know, I would say the horrifying revelations were balanced by um, some very much more interesting and upbeat and successful revelations, uh, both part of the same story. One of the other interesting aspects of the story is the degree to which once the various branches go off in their different directions, how little each branch knows about what the other is doing at any given time. Well, yes and no. You know, to some extent you're right, but, you know, one of the things that binds the book together and was, again, a, something new for me, a re, something revealing that was very important in the genesis of the book, was the discovery of 281 family letters that my Israeli relatives had had. Now, they had kept these letters that were passed down from their mother, and these were letters, for the most part, written by the relatives who were killed. They were written to the parents of the Israelis during the 30s and 40s, in the years leading up to the war. Uh, my relatives, who were about my age, had never read them because the letters were all written in Yiddish, and they only speak Hebrew. And I don't know Yiddish either, but between the two of us, we had all of the letters translated into English and Hebrew. And one of the revelations in those letters was that, in fact, the three branches of the family were very aware of each other. The people in what was then Poland, uh, has now become Belarus and Lithuania, knew about Idol, knew she was very successful, knew that she was vacationing in Florida and, you know, making millions selling brassiers. So that was uh, something that was surprising to me. And, you know, frequently the same letter would make the full circuit. It would be written from Poland and sent to Palestine and then sent on to New York. So the family, we were a real family. It wasn't just three branches that kind of went their separate ways without any uh, enduring contact or emotional ties. This was a very close family that was quite aware of each other's fates and each other's successes and, of course, tragedies. And what did the the branches of the family know about the Holocaust and what was transpiring in Europe during the war? Right. Well, that, again, was something that was eye-opening to me in the book. You know, the short answer is very, very little. Um, This is is a subject that has uh, attracted a great deal of study and analysis, just what was known when, and particularly in the U.S., and You know, the first reports of atrocities began to leak out of Europe, I would say in 42. But uh, there really wasn't, first of all, the extent of it was A, not understood, and B, not believed. Nothing like this had ever happened before. So sadly, tragically, some of these early reports were met with a certain amount of skepticism. And they were downplayed for various reasons. I mean, the New York Times in particular has come under a lot of attack for basically burying the stories of the, the initial accounts of the Holocaust. But, there, you know, aside from that, aside from how it was covered in the media, you know, there was no definite word 
There were not lists that came out saying, okay, the members of this village were rounded up and sent off to Auschwitz, or, you know, there was a massacre in the forest outside this village in which 80% of the Jewish population was killed. These things were happening, but they were not reported. There was there, there were either no witnesses, or the witnesses did not speak, or the witnesses were killed. So, you know, one of the members of the family, actually the father of the of the family that was killed in the Holocaust, came to the U.S. just by chance, two months before the war started, and he was trapped in the U.S. for the duration of the war. So he was separated from his wife, separated from his daughters and his grandchildren. And I have his letters. His his letters are among the ones that we had translated. And he wonders through all of those terrible, dark war years what was going on. He had no definitive word about the fate of his family until after the war was over. So it was this agonizing question mark that, that really endured throughout that period. The other thing that made it all the more confusing is how many of the Jews had very different experiences with the Germans during the First World War. Right. And that was certainly true for my family. So. Um, you know, one of the things I write about in the book is what happened to the family in the First World War. The the experience of the family well, that was then Russia. You know, the, the, the nationalities kept changing, so it was originally Russia, then it became Poland, and so on. Their experiences in the First World War with the Germans were, for the most part, positive. The Germans occupied their region toward the end of the war. They treated them humanely. They understood, you know, Yiddish and German are similar enough that uh, they could understand each other. You know, the Germans were not angels in the First World War, but by comparison with the Russians, they were relatively less anti-Semitic, and they seemed to be, you know, kind of more civilized, let's say, I and mean, that was the word that they used, uh, more humane, more law-abiding. The Russians and the Cossacks would come through. There was raping, pillaging, pogroms. I mean, this is something that the Jews had endured for centuries in that part of the world. And the Germans seemed to um, be more fair. And I think part of the tragedy of the Second World War was how unprepared the Jewish population was based on their very different experiences in the First World War. And in fact, I found um, uh, accounts, memoirs, and letters not written by my family, but by other people that said nobody believed that the Germans could have changed that much in 20 years. So, you know, many of the Jews in Poland um, either welcomed the Germans or thought, well, it couldn't be as bad as they say. So, you know, because of the First World War, there was a lot of misapprehension, and the Jews were left much more vulnerable as account, on account of that history. What did all of this tell you or reinforce within you about the importance of immigration and the self-selecting nature of those that choose to leave someplace and immigrate to someplace often very different than where they're from, often with very little knowledge, and the self-selecting nature of that and the special qualities that it brings out when those people get to where they're going. You know, I think of my family members to some extent as people in a novel. The ones who came to the U.S. were... Uh, you know, kind of like people from a Dreiser novel, let's say, or you know, maybe even a Hemingway novel. They had a lot of get up and go. They were restless and ambitious, and they came to uh, to the U.S. for opportunity, for freedom, for civil rights, and to some extent to 
better their lot. You know, I think that's the reason that all immigrants come to the U.S. The ones that went to Palestine in the 1920s and 30s were idealists. They were dreamers. They went because they really had this dream of returning to the land of the Bible, you know, making the desert bloom, working as pioneer farmers. So they had this story. They didn't really care about money. They didn't care about, you know, material success. They had this kind of starry-eyed vision of what they could accomplish in a new environment. Well, you know, for the Jews, an old environment, but, but the, the place that they had dreamed of. The ones who stayed, I think, of a little bit more, maybe like characters in a Chekhov story, somewhat more indecisive. Um, you know, they, they thought about leaving, but they couldn't quite make up their minds. They were somewhat comfortable, but to the extent that they were scared, they expressed it in their letters or they wrung their hands, but they never quite made the move. So I would say, yes, that the personality traits that impel people to leave the country of their birth and seek out a, a new country are quite different, and they certainly are reflected in the characters of my family members and, and the choices that they made. Was there a personal reflection that you had in terms of, of which branch you most identified with, trying to put yourself in their place at that time? Right. Well, you know, I guess the easy answer is the U.S. branch, since it's the branch I was born into. I think I understand them most and feel most comfortable with their choices. But, you know, I'd say the ones that I found most inspiring were the two who went to Palestine, Haim and Sonia were their names. Uh, you know, they were people who really had no knowledge of farming. They had no knowledge of what it would be like to live in a Mediterranean climate with torrid summers. Uh, they had no knowledge of how um, difficult it was going to be to to move to a place in which there was already an indigenous, indigenous population of Arabs who had been there for hundreds of years with their own customs, their own religion, and their own very different point of view, which inevitably clashed with the, with the point of view of the Zionist settlers. So... You know, these, I really admired their courage. I really admired their vision. And, you know, they were very, they lived hard, lives of hardship, hard work. They got malaria. Uh, you know, they had nothing, really. Um, but they never gave up. And, and I think I, I found their courage and their persistence really inspiring. There is this sense among all of them, I suppose, of, the classic case of ordinary people caught up in in historic events over which they had no control. Right. That's really what I find most inspiring, and that's that is the thread that goes through all of my recent books. You know, you mentioned the Children's Blizzard. That is a book about um, settlers on the on the U.S. prairie in the 1880s. These were immigrants by and large, ordinary people who came to homestead and ended up. Um, confronting terrible tragedy when a sudden storm came to the Nebraska and, and the Dakotas in 1888 and killed many children on their way home from school. That's why the book is called The Children's Blizzard. And I think the same kind of uh, clash between big history and little people informs the family. I mean, even though my one relative 
it'll, Ida Rosenthal became something of a celebrity, you know, had that famous dream campaign, I dreamed I did, blah, 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 in my maiden form bra. By and large, my family members were just ordinary immigrants, ordinary Zionists, people who had, as we were saying, very different dreams, very different um, aspirations, but were caught up in history in a way that they never could have predicted. Nobody could have predicted that uh, four foot eleven inch chain smoking immigrant would uh, become a tycoon, and nobody would have predicted that a little five year old girl would have been burned to death in a synagogue for no other reason than that she was born Jewish. Um, this was history um, as it made and broke one particular family, and uh, you know I'm much more inspired and compelled by telling those stories than I am about you know FDR or you know, Woodrow Wilson or Hitler, what have you. I mean, those, you know, people have written those stories and obviously their choices and decisions are extremely important. But what compels my imagination is the ordinary person whose life is changed unutterably by their confrontations with history. Of course, in writing this story and about these people, you were also writing about people with whom you shared DNA, which gave it a, a different kind of power, I suppose. Exactly. You know, again, to go back to the children's blizzard, you know, the crucial crises of that book, whether to let the kids go home from school or keep them in the building, whether to take shelter in a haystack or leave, whether to risk your own life to rescue somebody else, those are the kinds of things that I dramatized in that book based on accounts that were left by the settlers and so on. There's always a certain amount of imaginative reconstruction and a certain amount of imaginative leap in um, in writing history that way. It's very different, I found, when you're writing about people with whom you share DNA. It's not just DNA, but it's culture, it's history, it's sense of humor. Uh, you know, it, it's it's family. So, uh, you know, to some extent, it was really interesting reading these letters written by perfect strangers, and yet they were my grandfather's cousins. So these were, you know, pretty close relatives to him, and they're definite family traits that are recognized. Uh, the tendency to worry, which my mother has in spades, the tendency to be very concerned and care about people all over the world that happen to be related to us. And, you know, I think the great affection and care for children um, which was certainly uh, a factor in my own childhood. So I think in reconstructing their lives and in imagining why they made the choices that they did, I definitely had a leg up because they were relatives. Uh, you know, it didn't make it any easier to write about because it was emotionally probably even more devastating. But I felt that it was uh, that I could put myself in their shoes uh, little, with a little more authority. And at the end of it all, how did it make you feel more connected to this larger Jewish diaspora? Well, you know, I certainly felt more connected with my family as a result of this book. Uh, you know, as I discovered in doing the research, I come from a long line of scribes. My grandfather was a Torah scribe, his father, his father, all the way back, as many generations as we're aware of, all engaged in this pursuit of writing the Word of God on parchment. Now, I don't do that. That's not the kind of scribe I am. But I, too, am a scribe who record the events, the passions, the dreams, the, the tragedies of my family in the books that I write. And I would 
definitely say that, that doing that, writing those kinds of stories and um, being in that tradition connected me very, very deeply in a way that I never had felt before with, uh, with the profession of my family. You know, I, I would say that the scribal tradition lives and has, is continuing to be passed down. Well, there was this greater cultural connection. Did it have any any involvement in a relig- a greater religious connection? Well, you know, I am not an observant Jew, but I am a reverent Jew. I, I'm somebody who um, feels very proud of my identity, feels very proud that uh, I'm part of this this tradition, and I've certainly learned a lot about it. Uh, so yes, I would definitely say the generations um, of reverence were were bridged by my writing of the book. But you know, one thing I'd like to emphasize is that this is, of course, a book about a Jewish family. But I do not consider this a Jewish book. You know, I, I like to compare it to Angela's Ashes, which is a very intensely emotional, colorful book about uh, an Irish family. But nobody would say, oh, you know, if you're not Irish. Forget it. You're not going to want to read that book. You know, I feel the same is true for the family, for my book. It is a, a book about a particular set of people in a particular point of history, but it's a universal story. It's a story of, of immigration, of, of mothers who kept their children alive, of, of history, of success to some extent, uh, of tragedy. So it's, it's all wrapped up in one family, but it, but it really is a story that I think has universal resonance. David Laskin, the book is The Family, Three Journeys into the Heart of the 20th Century. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, my pleasure. It was a great interview. Thanks. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.